0: This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto.
1: Hello and welcome to Carpe Consensus. This is a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network and I am Ben Schiller and this is Danny Nelson. Hi, Danny. Hello. And this is Cam Thompson. She's a Web3 reporter here.
0: Hey. How's it going?
1: It's going great. It's always a fun moment in crypto, and we're going to get to some of that fun today in the show. Danny, do you want to explain to our listeners what Carpe Consensus is? Sure. Carpe Consensus is our weekly
2: show where we get to talk about the big ideas going through crypto and, and going across our desks at CoinDesk. Sometimes we'll talk to you about Consensus itself.
1: Yeah, but we're going to get into the big stories, so let's do that. All right, we're going to go inside the desk now and we're going to look at some of the big stories crossing our transom here at Coindesk. And the big news last week was about Ledger, which is French wallet maker. And it got into trouble with the crypto community or much of the crypto community because of a new service they're rolling out called Ledger Recover. And this is basically a way to recover your seed phrase such that if you lose access to your private keys, you can get them back. And this is much like... Uh, Something we might see in Web2 where you can reset your password or, you know, get a new credit card if it gets stolen. But this kind of crossed a Rubicon uh, in crypto because uh, there is an ethos that if you don't have your keys, then you don't have your coins. And this is kind of contradictory to that because it um, introduces a recovery element that normally doesn't exist. Danny, what do you make of this? Uh, Why do you think the crypto community was so kind of up in arms about this? Well, it
2: sort of gets at the heart of what Ledger is supposed to serve to the community in the minds of, I think, a lot of the critics of this effort, right? So Ledger and the wallets that it provides, these hardware wallets, are meant to be the physical manifestation of the idea, not your keys, not your coins. So keeping your crypto safe by having custody over the seed phrase, having complete control over it. The downside of this self-entrusting is that if one forgets their seed phrase, then they can't get their money. So what Ledger tried to do here is say, well, now we're going to have this service where we will keep this information somewhere else in case you forget it or can't access it. And then that is insurance against you forgetting it. But the downside of having anyone other than yourself having custody over that information is that things can happen to that information, whether it's Ledger getting hacked or subpoenaed by the government, there are all these different ways that one's assets could possibly be undermined and all of them undercut Ledger's position in the market. So what I really think has happened here is a failure of communication and a disconnect between the ideas that the brand stands for and what this product attempts to achieve.
1: Right. And we should point out that recently today, actually, Ledger came out to say that it was suspending this service and uh, taking a good hard look at it. And a lot of people were saying that, you know, maybe it should have issued a separate service not one on top of its existing hardware wallet operation uh, and that would have been sort of you know one type of crypto for the kind of hardcore that wants uh, self-custody and a another service that is more sort of in the middle of web 3 and web 2 that would allow more people to feel comfortable coming into crypto such that they could you know recover their seed phrase if they lose it which is pretty normal you know we all forget our passwords so uh the idea of being able to access them is not so outrageous but uh, it was greeted as you say with alarm in the community and i think it sets up a kind of interesting battle you know between crypto as a satoshi nakamoto hardcore idea and this kind of more halfway house idea of between web 2 and web 3 which would allow a company like ledger to onboard more people so uh, what do you what do you think Cam?
0: So something that Danny said earlier about the communication of the product stuck out to me because I believe this was the big failure here, not necessarily the product itself, but the way it was told to users on Twitter with this support bot that was responding to messages that were later being deleted. If you could just go through some of those examples and really explaining why this was a bad communication strategy at the end of the day, because that's a huge part of the story. That's what Chief Insights columnist David Morris pointed out in his piece he published last week about this ledger recover situation. If you could just speak to a little bit about this communication issue that was really the cause of what happened.
2: Well, I I won't pretend to have been following the play-by-play of the story, but just what stands out to me from this is... Again, that disconnect between what the brand stands for and what the people see Ledger as being. And Ledger coming out now and saying, well, we're going to put this service aside and give a long, hard think about what we're doing here. That's probably what they should have been doing from the start of this exercise. You need to think about how these things will impact people's perception of you before you roll them out. Because whatever one person thinks is, oh, well, this is a cool new service that will achieve X. Well, a lot of people will say instead, it's going to do why, and that's going to get rid of the whole reason why we trusted you in the first place.
0: So that one tweet that this Ledger customer support bot responded to someone who was raising questions about this Ledger Recover product, this bot said, technically speaking, it is and always has been possible to write firmware that facilitates key extraction, and key extraction is the part of this Ledger Recover tool that people are very concerned about. And ending with that sentence, you have always trusted Ledger not to deploy such firmware, whether you knew it or not. I mean, this is a little bit egregious to me, to be honest. You know, I think a lot of companies that really dig their roots into Web3 ethos and Web3 native practices are caught up in this onboarding issue and trying to find new ways to get people to engage with their products. And the biggest issue in terms of onboarding to crypto, to Web3 is wallet infrastructure. So although rolling out Ledger Recover might have the ability to onboard new people to the space because it's a little simpler and there's less fear about you know losing your keys and losing your coins, at the end of the day, it's not what the product is meant to do. That's not the audience that they've built their brand on.
2: I have to say, you almost have to give them credit for that tweet, right? Because the tweet is saying the truth, But it's sort of the truth that they're not supposed to say out loud. And there's no reason for them to say it out loud here in the way they do. It's a very trolly response and just goes again to that point of they don't have a good handle on their communications. But it is true. Anytime you are trusting a company to offer you a service, you are taking them at their word and believing that they are only doing what they are saying they're doing and nothing that they're not. It doesn't really help Ledger to point that out here.
1: Right. I mean, I think there's a deeper issue here, which is that it's and, and really nothing to do with Ledger. I think it's about this, you know, conflict between the kind of hard ethos of self-custody and this more compromised service whereby people can access their assets if they lose their seed phrase. So it's kind of sets up this kind of ideological conflict between Web 2 and Web 3, which is really nothing to do with Ledger, but they've kind of fallen right into that middle of that battle, you know.
0: Absolutely. And over the past couple of years, Ledger has made a lot more steps to try to integrate itself into this greater Web 2 to Web 3 community that's kind of brewing. So, for example, about a year ago, they partnered with Hublot to release those wearable Ledger pieces so it would have your wallet on a necklace. And a lot of people were wearing it at awards shows. It got a lot of press. It was really exciting. You know, people were looking at different ways that Ledger would become a little bit more cultural rather than just this very techie crypto hardware But at the end of the day, like I said before, it built its audience, it built its consumer base upon being this very crypto hardware techie piece that people were going to use in order to protect their assets.
1: Right. I mean, I think they would have been much better at just keeping the original service, the the hardware wallet, which is, you know, along the lines of the ethos that, uh, you know, Bitcoin expects. And having a separate service that would be kind of crypto light for people who want some of the attributes of crypto, but also have that more Web2 element of being able to recover their wallet if they they need to.
2: You're lost and hungry in the woods, nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. There's an owl cooing in the distance or making owls don't coo, they hoot. There's an owl hooting in the distance. You don't know what you're going to do, but you find a cave. You enter the cave hoping for sustenance. You find it in the form of a pizza box. That's right. We've just got a pizza delivery delivered to Danny's Dungeon this week on the segment. We don't have much original reporting, but we do have a hell of a lot of pizza just to celebrate Bitcoin Pizza Day, that annual holiday where Bitcoiners and really all of crypto now celebrate that landmark moment when some guy named Laszlo spent 10,000 Bitcoin on two boxes of pizza. Now this year for Pizza Day, I found my way to a co-working space in Northern Philadelphia, where I happened upon the creator of a project called PizzaDAO, which is trying to host pizza parties all over the country and the world. And this day, Pizza Day, was the biggest day of the year for PizzaDAO. This year, they organized 122 different pizza parties in lots of different cities where crypto enthusiasts of all stripes would come together, eat pizza, drink beer, and talk about crypto.
0: So how was it? What were the vibes?
2: How was it? The vibes? Uh, You know, it's a a completely different vibe from all the conferences that I go to, right? Because the people going to these things, they're more or less the normal crypto user. If there is such a profile to be found, like the hobbyist, the enthusiast, not someone who's working full-time in crypto— I'd say that I was one of the few exceptions on that front. But just people who like to dabble in and think about these technologies and notably much more broad than just Bitcoin. In fact, most of the conversations I had there had nothing to do with Bitcoin. They were
1: about much more complex topics on NFTs and stuff like that. So, Danny, why do you think uh, we celebrate Bitcoin Pizza Day? I'm a, I'm a little bit confused about this every year, because on the one hand, it seems to be a celebration of basically idiocy, basically wow. someone who could have kept their Bitcoin and would now be a multimillionaire. Or is it a celebration of the fact that Bitcoin was used for a commercial transaction, It's known as the first commercial transaction involving Bitcoin, therefore proving that Bitcoin can be a payment mechanism, which is something it's often not.
0: Mm. Great question.
1: Why do you think it is celebrated?
2: You sound like me asking if we're just supporting it for its idiocy, right? It certainly began as a celebration of that first commercial transaction, right? Like this is a moment where Bitcoin is actually being used in the real world to procure goods. The reason why I think it's caught on is much more simple than that. Everyone loves pizza, right? And so it's very easy to have a day to celebrate pizza when you also have this landmark moment associated with it Uh, but it has fully surpassed that origin story from my experience of this pizza day and just sort of become a crypto enthusiast holiday a gathering point if you will
1: but there does seem to be a paradox here which is that in order to get people to use bitcoin presumably it needs to be used as a payment mechanism people need to actually spend their bitcoin some time and yet the kind of ethos of bitcoin is to hold bitcoin And not do what this Laszlo guy did and spend 10,000 Bitcoin on two John pieces. So it's kind of, I'm not quite sure what the message is here. Is Bitcoin celebrated as a payment mechanism or is it celebrated as something you really should have kept hold of and not spent? I I mean, I would disagree with you,
2: right? Like the ethos of Bitcoin is not to buy and hold. That's the ethos of the modern Bitcoiner. But, you know, the white paper is Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. This is not a peer-to-peer buy and hold. A lot of people use it as a buy and hold, and most people don't even use it as a peer-to-peer. So it has certainly grown beyond those roots. But if you get to the core ethos of what Bitcoin is trying to be, and also look at Pizza Day through that lens, then... Pizza day is one of the most pure moments of actually utilizing Bitcoin because it's someone who isn't just sitting on it.
0: Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I have to say, it's not someone who is selling drugs or buying weapons on the black market. It's a pretty wholesome case. I mean, buying pizza for your family with 10,000 Bitcoin, yeah, we do celebrate part of the fact that if he would have held it, he would have had millions and millions of dollars today but still he was one of the very early users of this currency for what it was meant to do so i think that is a beautiful moment in itself
2: i wonder what happened to those bitcoin like did the pizza guy keep the bitcoin
0: i was thinking about that i have no idea i mean i'm wondering if he held it or sold it when it got a little bit more expensive whoever was involved in that process all parties not just laszlo were impacted by this for sure (laughs) All right, so continuing this conversation of Bitcoin when Bitcoin was a payments method, then this whole HODL narrative developed and kept really strong. It has upset a lot of people in the last several months because of ordinals, which are Bitcoin-based NFTs. And let me tell you, ordinals are doing very well in terms of the greater NFT markets, according to data from CryptoSlam. Bitcoin is the second largest network in terms of NFT sales across blockchains, which is fascinating that this number grew so quickly from zero at the beginning of this year to 167 million in the past 30 days. Now, if you look at some of the breakdown of these statistics, it is quite far off from Ethereum, which is nearly 400 million in the past 30 days. But it's about three times greater than Solana, which used to be the runner up for NFT's and is now about 56 million in the past 30 days. So it's fascinating how Bitcoin and ordinals have just really powered so much capital into NFT markets. And it's something that not a lot of people are talking about, granted all of the criticism, but it's truly a valuable use case for this network, I believe. I mean, we're going to go back to the ordinals conversation and BRC20s are also fueling this too. Ben, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I'm wondering, uh, does this speak to Bitcoin or does this also speak to the weakness of Solana post FTX, you know, obviously SBF, the big uh, enfant terrible of that scandal was synonymous kind of with Solana. And it's interesting to see that project uh, dropping off in importance in the NFT market, presumably in the wake of that. And, you know, Bitcoin NFTs or uh, ordinals are an impressive use case for Bitcoin, one I completely support the idea of uh, circumscribing what Bitcoin should be used for and uh, allowing Bitcoiners, the hardcore, to say that it should only be used for monetary purposes and not for these uh, artistic purposes. is crazy to me. And so I'm fully supportive of this NFT breakout that it's uh, making in recent weeks. Yeah, I'm kind of
2: surprised that the growth in ordinals corresponds so closely with the fall off uh, for Solana NFTs because I, going into this narrative, I I assumed that this would be seen by the market as a new thing that is separate from the other things. But really, what's becoming more clear is, well, it is a new thing, but it's also replacing and eating the old thing, which to me just goes to show that there's a very small subset of people who are really into NFTs. And they will go where the activity is. and That's not a good or bad thing. It's just a thing. The activity right now is on ordinals and it's not on Solana. And what that results in is a big drop off in the Solana trading volumes and the growth on ordinals. And I think it also helps that, is it Magic Eden? Does Magic Eden provide support for buying and selling ordinals?
0: Yes, they do. They do. So Magic Eden rolled out a Bitcoin NFT marketplace.
2: So that right there can also help me understand why this move is happening specifically, because Magic Eden is historically the spot for uh, NFTs on Solana. And with it getting into Ordinals, it's much easier for that world to transfer over to the new Ordinals world.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that a lot of these big companies, Binance also rolled out its own NFT marketplace for Bitcoin-based NFTs and Having the support of these larger exchanges, you know, really fuels that adoption. I mean, people are coming to these to buy Ethereum-based or Solana-based NFTs, and now they're able to have a little bit more access, you know, being able to buy that easily. Because at the start of ordinals, it was not easy to be able to obtain one or to mint, I guess to inscribe is the terminology. To inscribe a Satoshi was not an easy process. Our research analyst, George Kaloudis, tried to do this he actually succeeded because he's a bitcoin wizard but it is not an easy process for sure so making it more simple is certainly important and it is interesting too to see how some of these marketplaces have kind of changed their narrative around this i mean magic eden was historically a solana based nft marketplace and in recent months especially post collapse of ftx they've really expanded their offerings into gaming into ordinals into a lot more collections so it's cool to see and i think just bringing another option to the market is good overall i mean if NFT markets are doing well, that's great. It makes my job a lot of fun.
2: I have a question on the ordinals trend. Where's the activity specifically with ordinals and these Bitcoin NFTs? Like, are there certain collections that are just taking the lion's share of activity here?
0: So great question. There's an article the Coindesk published recently about how ordinals have hit 3 million inscriptions, but most of them are just text. However, there are a lot of great collections such as Bitcoin Frogs. It's a PFP collection, very pixelated, sort of like a CryptoPunk, but in a brog style. Also the Milady maker, the Milady NFT collections interface to create derivatives has also adopted its own Bitcoin Miladies. A lot of collections are using PFPs and it's the same way that NFT started on Ethereum. You know, a lot of these PFP projects kind of fueling the market. I'm just waiting to see an ordinals based collection that has real utility behind the asset. And I think once we get there, that'll be really exciting and potentially more Bitcoiners will be eager to adopt it because not a lot of them are right now.
1: What would you mean by uh, utility in that case?
0: Yeah, so utility in that case, let's say that the token grants some type of membership or it's a ticket to an event or it has some type of loyalty associated with it. I think those will be really exciting, but there are a lot of technical elements of ordinals that are way different from Ethereum-based NFTs, which is why a lot of people are excited about them. For example, the actual creative asset is inscribed into the Satoshi, rather than just the smart contract data being minted on Ethereum. Well, we'll check back in next week to see if anything else crazy happens with Ordinals, but thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Danny. Thank you. And make sure you give us a review, make sure you let us know what you wanna hear, how you're liking our podcast, Any questions you have, feel free to ask, and we will answer them in next week's show. So take care, enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll see you next time.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz. And produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week.